0: Welcome to another episode of Rahalastarpa, this week with David Baddiel. My dad calls him David Baddiel and he should know how to pronounce his name. Um, It's a fun one, we recorded this uh, right at the beginning of the Euros, the footballing competition. So there is some discussion of what would happen if England won the Euros. Came close, eh? Just that little corner... Post, keeping that ball out. Imagine, have you seen the film Sliding Doors? Imagine doing Sliding Doors where Rashford's penalty just snuck in. Maybe it would have gone the other way. Who knows? There's no way of knowing, is there? Anything could have happened. That's the beautiful beauty of alternate universes. Um... Anyway, yeah, look, we're doing some more live ones of these. Uh, this was lovely. To, thanks to the Grand for having us and thank you for the audience for turning up. It was lovely to have you there. Um, we're doing live ones in Norwich on the 13th of August. I think more tickets are going to become available as social distancing relaxes. Uh, we've got one with Jay Rayner and one with Matt Holness, um, Garth Marenghi and much more. Um, and then we're in the Les Squared Theatre most Mondays in September, all Mondays in October. All the September ones have sold out. We've got people like Adam and Joe, David Mitchell, maybe Bob Mortimer, the Parapod, Tim Key. Uh, there will be some guests who aren't white, middle-class, middle-aged men, um, but uh, we haven't got the full line-up yet. We are going to attempt to stream all of these shows for a small fee, so even though you missed out on tickets to see those particular gentlemen, Um, you will be able to watch at home. It would be lovely if you joined in with that. We will let you know as soon as possible when we have tickets for that. Anyway, do book for October. There will be some fantastic guests coming up. I'm aiming very high this series. Uh, Worth booking now before... Because when the names get announced, especially if you're not a badger, the tickets sell out straight away. I'm just warning you. Let's sit back, relax and enjoy David Baddiel on Raha Puts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Clapham Grand. Please welcome a man who's been solo parenting and has amazingly still got two kids. It's Richard Herring! (laughs) Hooray! Oh, thank you very much. Oh, you shit all over last week's audience. My God, those guys. Those guys. Where where do we get them from? Who busts them in? Uh, Welcome... Whoa! It's all right. It's, it's difficult to uh, remember how to move. It's all a bit slapstick for the uh, listeners at home. Nearly fell over my chair. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's uh, Losers Shall Triumph podcast. It's, uh, we've got to a load of losers in the audience. One of them's going to win, and that one will lose because he won't be a loser anymore. Ah, it's like that episode of Star Trek with the computer. Um, confounding... I can't understand that, that dichotomy. Uh, though I was uh, talking to the inventor of Quattro the other day, Ian Quattro. He invented, come on kids, the Quattro. You must remember the Quattro soft drink from 1982 to 1989. It was uh, pineapple, orange, passion fruit and grapefruit. Those are the four constituents came together to make Quattro. Quattro. Uh, I was also talking to Annabelle Jankel and Rocky Morton, who created the famous TV ad campaign for the Quattro. I remember, I remember that. It's harder than it looks. Peter Kay makes this look easy. It's much harder than it looks. Quattro, you remember Quattro? Well, were you born in 1989? Were you still alive in 1989? Oh, looking good. <laughs> Uh, anyway, they call it rehearsal I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that'll catch on, cos Quattro, Quattro. If Quattro can't catch on, what's gonna catch on? That's my question to you. Who, I used to get that from the garage in Cheddar. No, okay. Quattro. I don't remember Quattro. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've been. My wife. I've been ill for a couple of weeks, and my wife finally uh, got the thing I had and was much worse. And so I had to. Um, I went to Cheddar to see my uh, parents. Uh, we hadn't seen them for 18 months, but my wife couldn't come. It's almost like she did it on purpose. <laughs> she got, like, a nice holiday from the kids. Didn't have to spend any time with my mum and dad. Um, so I've been looking after the kids on their own. I've been to a couple of birthday parties with them. Uh, my son got obsessed with this little fireman's box thing. It had fireman's stuff in it, but it was like a red box with a plastic box with a clasp. And he played with it in the bath, and he caught his willy in it. Um, I was quite worried about it, and I thought... He said he was just going about his willy hurting, and I, was, I sort of went to bed that night thinking, he's going to just hes going to have to have his willy amputated. My wife will be... In. I mean, it's quite a, that's quite a um, you know, responsibility in it to keep... Uh, it'd be a bad thing to lose. And then we went to a birthday party. My, my son will find the most dangerous thing anywhere. I can't believe he's never been to hospital uh, we went to a birthday party and this friend there had quite a big garden and my son was playing on some swings and like two minutes later I looked for him and he wasn't there. He'd gone right to the end of the garden, threw a nettle patch, found a chest of drawers the guy kept his tools in that he said were so stiff that the kids couldn't open the drawers uh, and found in those drawers a screwdriver and a saw that looked genuinely like it had come from a Japanese martial arts... It, was like a th- it had sort of blades all over it, and he was walking down the garden holding these... Later on, he took all his clothes off. He had his wi- if his willy had come off, then... As- Imagine that on Bouncy Castle. So I've, man- I've managed to survive. In Cheddar, um, we, uh, I took my kids down to see my old school and just walk around Cheddar, but it was pissing down with rain, so I bought them a biscuit, and we sat in what used to be the bus shelter that was right by the school. This is a little bit of sheltering there. And when they ate their biscuits, and just the, the wafting smell of the shit of someone from Cheddar who hasn't got their own toilet... And that's a real kind of cheddar, that's a holiday experience and it's sitting with your dad wet through from rain, eating a biscuit with the smell of excrement. That's when you know you've been on holiday, that reminded me of being on holiday. But that, that bus shelter, was, that used to be a bus shelter and, and I remembered like when I was 16, that night I first met my first girlfriend, first started going out with my first girlfriend. We'd sat in front of that bus shelter while my friends were in the bus shelter shouting us and saying, how you know Going, it's because we were sitting together. I thought, God, if I could have seen, you know, if that sixteen-year-old boy could have seen the future and realised that bus shell was going to be a toilet one day, he wouldn't have believed. Wouldn't have. I think people used it as a toilet back then in the nineteen eighties as well, but not officially. Uh, But you know, that's the thing. You go back to these places and you start thinking of the old days, and yeah, sad. My ears all right, and my ears got better from last week. Remember my ear hurt last week. Anyway, my guest this week—he's probably best known uh, for playing the art bidder in *Filthy Rich and Catflap*. That's quite a good—that's quite a good one, isn't it? That's quite generous of me to go for something like that. That's quite interesting. Will you please welcome, me, ladies and gentlemen? It's David Baddiel. It's David Baddiel. My dad calls him David Baddiel.
1: My dad calls him that. Hello, David Baddiel. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, it's quite nice to be on stage. Fucking hell. You're back. You're back on stage. Oh, back on stage. Can you believe it? <laughs> I can't believe it. And not dead. It. It's unbelievable. It's Hello, Richard. How's the thing with the one bollock? How's that going? It's going all right, thank you. It's yeah, is this the nearest as a Jew I'll ever get to sitting down with Hitler. That's so <laughs> great. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Is it true that he only had one? Yeah. It isn't true, I don't think. Has I it think made a, you more anti Semitic? <laughs> being... I couldn't what? be any
0: more anti Semitic <laughs> than I am. I've read your book and it's made me. <laughs> yeah. No, it hasn't. made you good. more like Hitler. <laughs> that's good. I had know. the mustache as well, David.
1: Don't think I didn't think of that. You I have had a, the mustache. No, but that's not the right sort of mustache, is <laughs> but it? But I
0: had it before. I had the Hitler
1: mustache. Yeah, you did have a little Hitler mustache. Yeah. Can I just. I was listening to the bit of. Uh, I'm going to call it new material. I don't yeah. know if it was. Yeah, well, it is. you did before I came on. That was, yeah. Um, anyway, I, it reminded me of a story I used to tell, but I did say before I came on that I haven't been on stage for a long time, so if I get confused and forget bits yeah. like a shit person who can't tell a story, I apologise. But it did remind me of something uh, about my son. So my son is now 16, and he's a hulking great man. Do, do you know... I mean, this is not relevant to the story, but uh, the other day, a Belarusian journalist or a Lithuanian... No, Belarusian journalist was taken off a plane. They, 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 they got a plane to come and take his plane down, and then they took the Belarusian journalist off the plane. And when I look at my son, I think, you're the kind of bloke now who would have come on that plane and kidnapped that journalist. That's what he looks like now. He's fucking terrifying, right? But... When he was about four, we had a it's sort of a Jewish quandary in a way in that my son didn't get circumcised when he was... If you're, if you're a religious Jew, or I wasn't really from a religious family, but nonetheless, my parents had me circumcised when I was eight days old. I had no fucking say in it. A, uh, someone called a moyle, who's a... That's their job. Yeah. Right? A sort of rabbinical man. Looks probably a bit like you in some ways. <laughs> Came to our house and cut a bit of my penis off, right? And uh, that was that. But when my son was born, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do that, really, because I'm very unreligious. And in the end, I just sort of, like, didn't bother. And then God, in whom I don't believe, clearly thought, no, fuck that, David Badil, he's King Jew. And when he was (laughs) about four years old, he had started having problems weeing was so his foreskin was too tight yeah. and we had to have it, you know, cut off. Like, surgically, okay. He'll hate me for saying all this, but never <laughs> mind, right? You know, it's his fault for being born to someone who needs funny stories. So... <laughs> so this is what happened, right? Um, so we were very worried in general about that area for a bit and making sure that it was all fine. And then he got what sort of what was left of his penis caught in... Not left of his penis, but his foreskin... <laughs> Caught in the in the zip of his you know, little trousers at one point, right? And he was in a lot of pain, and we were really worried about this. There's a completely true story, and we didn't know what to do, and Mawena who is my wife, said to me, Google it. <laughs> and I said, and this was, remember, this is about ten years ago or whatever, so it was very current then, this problem. <laughs> I said... I can't. I am a British male celebrity <laughs> over the age of 45. I cannot Google the words child's penis, right? <laughs> I may as well just phone up U Tree now and hand myself in. So, yeah, so we just had to hope that that got better. And yeah, it did. Yeah. So it's all fine. And now. he's still
0: just trapped in his yeah. shorts yeah. Down to this yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And there's yeah.
1: two child's penis stories. Yeah, well, they ne- nearly,
0: they nearly got. Thought it was nearly a circumcision. Circumcision with quite a little snapping box.
1: Well, so what, what are you doing there? A you what it, it was that? No, it's not a guillotine. I don't think it was sort of a guillotine. Pe- it's not like one of those stationary things. <laughs> <laughs> that Sort it out. No, now I think I believe that there is actually a ritual knife yeah. for doing it that the Moyle has, but I don't want to think about that. That's awful. No, I, but I, when my son had it, he had it done, you know, by a surgeon and not right. in a strange way that you've just mimed. <laughs>
0: well, mine was with a fireman's uh, box.
1: That's what, that's what he caught his a in. fireman's box. Anyway,
0: do you remember being in... Was being in Filthy Richard Catflap... Have I talked to you about this before? Is I that... don't know
1: if you have. I've done this show a few times. And yeah. so we were discussing beforehand that because we're old men, we may forget what we talked about <laughs> yeah. and do it again. And people who have regularly listened to Richard Herrick's podcast, who are those people <laughs> who regularly listen? But nonetheless, they might spot that. Yeah. And, so, and so you clearly thought, what is the one thing so obscure about <laughs> David Baddiel's career? We haven't talked about it. So does anyone here know what Filthy Richard yes. Catflap is? Oh, good uh, All right, well, Ben Elton's in. That's good to know. Uh, <laughs> so after The Young Ones, Ben Elton and Rick Mayle and all those people uh, wrote another show which wasn't anything like as successful as The Young Ones called Filthy Rich and Cat Flat about a sort of sh- old showbiz guy yeah. that Rick Mayle was playing and um, I was originally offered quite a big part in that, and then gradually the part went down and down and down. And the final thing, which you can still see on YouTube, is it's an episode in which it's a sort of satire about the modern art world, and Adrian Edmondson, who plays more or less the same kind of part he did in The Young Ones, so a yeah. sort of, like, complete lout. Right? <laughs> he, uh, at one point, is taken up by Stephen Fry. I don't know, this is really a long story, uh, but I'm sorry, he, he, it's his fault. Okay, so he at one point burps and Stephen Fry tries to sell his burp as an art object to the various sort of arty poncy people in the room, one of whom is me, and I say... 350 (laughs) pounds and then I get into a fight with someone okay yeah that's it that's it for the story I wish you hadn't fucking queued it Uh, up wasn't it are you was
0: it did you like did you you watch the young ones and were you into the young ones
1: yeah yeah well I can't tell well well, it is interesting but not that funny it's really bleak about what actually happened with that uh, with the filming of that so I'll I'll tell you just because this is a comedy nerds podcast all right? but the story doesn't end particularly well great good okay (laughs) (laughs) So, I was doing a show in Edinburgh at the time. Uh, It was called Super Lads. uh, And it was sort of, uh, you know, a thing about, ironically, being a lad, which very much became part of my fucking life uh, later on. But uh, I got seen by the people making the young ones follow-up. And they offered me, originally quite a big part of a pavement artist in this show. And then that got cut, and it got cut, and whatever. So, eventually they say, right, you can have this tiny little part, which I was still very excited uh, as uh, this person who bids on the burp, yeah? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I was doing a show at the Bloomsbury Theatre at the time, like a tiny little show at the Bloomsbury Theatre. And so I, I had to, like, go, get up to Manchester, where they were filming it, the, uh, myself. And I was still living with my mum and dad, right? right. And I'd never been on an f- internal flight in Britain <laughs> or anything like that. And what they said was, is a cab will arrive in the morning with your tickets, because this was well before you could get tickets with phones or anything like that, and you get the a flight to Manchester and do it, right? So I wake up really early, really nervous. The cab just doesn't arrive. Some fuck-up, I don't know what, doesn't arrive. I phone, I just have a number where they're filming it, and a bloke, basically a janitor, says to me, I don't know, mate, get on a plane and come, <laughs> right? That is what he said. That. So I had no money at all, right? (laughs) Just like a student. And I went to Heathrow and I wrote a cheque that I kind of knew was going to (laughs) bounce, right? To get to fly to Manchester. I get there. I'm three hours late by the time I get there. And I have lunch with Rick Mail and Ben Elton and Adrian Emerson. And they fucking hate me. (laughs) They looked at me like, who is this fucking Oxbridge cunt, right, who's kept us waiting for, like, four hours? And I couldn't really explain. They were all my heroes. It was the worst experience, right? So I do the scene, and the scene kind of goes all right. But then I remember going up to the producer, Paul Jackson, who is very important in the growth of alternative comedy early on in the history of it. I go up to him. He's trying to film. He's directing it as well. And I tap him on the shoulder, and I say... Paul, I, I need some money back. For It cost me like 200 quid to get here. I don't know if that, you know, it'll, like, I'll get an overdraft and I'm really, it's going to be shit. And he just said, go away. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was the end of my career. I thought, go away. I thought, that's it. I'll never be in showbiz again. And I showed them. <laughs> Actually, I, I did bump into him about, I don't know, two years ago. And I said, you still owe me that 200 quid. <laughs> and he said, go away. To go away. <laughs> I but there you go. You did very well to get there, David. What in that story? Yeah, or... <laughs> no, yeah.
0: Get to the A. You got through the whole story with that, and it made sense. It was good. So well yeah. done. First time back on stage, but you got you you got there to the. I they, did get there. They should have given you money back. Yeah, they did. I'm glad Filthy sure Rich and Capflut didn't do very well now. Yeah. <laughs> ask me another question. I will. I'm going to ask something else. So uh, I was you tweeted the other day about um, obviously we, as we record this, we're coming up to the Euros. As it goes out, yeah. with the, the Euro, England might be out of the Euros by now when this goes out. Um, <laughs> when is this going out? I don't know, but a few right. weeks or a few weeks' time. Right. Um, they might have won it. They well. might have won the year as well. I'll talk to you about that in a second. But you said there were people outside your house yes. singing three lines and yes. you wondered whether you should go and join yeah, it. Yeah,
1: that is something that really happened. Because uh, as you may know about me, I never lie about anything. Yeah. So uh, I was sitting in my house. It was quite late at night. Uh, and suddenly I hear, slightly distant, but outside the window, about six people go. he's coming home, he's coming home, he's coming football, coming home. And they're doing it like people do, really, quite a lot. Like, on and on and on. And I thought, oh, shall I go out? Right? <laughs> shall I open the window or actually go out the door and say, it's me, right? <laughs> and then I thought, there's quite a strong possibility, isn't there, that they'll think, who's that sad old bloke? <laughs> Like he's joining in, and he seems to know all the words, but (laughs) otherwise, this is just weird. What's he doing, right? So in the end, while I was thinking all those sort of self-loathing, it's going to be shit thoughts, they went away, obviously, as they might do. But then, because obviously I did talk about it on Twitter, I got a lot of interesting, similar experiences sent to me, and someone sent this to me, which was it wasn't him himself, but someone screenshotted. Mike Bat. Do you know who Mike Bat is? Yeah. So Mike Batt uh, wrote the Wombles theme, right? Uh, and he tweeted in 2018 that he was on the Tube coming home to Wimbledon. He lives in fucking Wimbledon, right? <laughs> how, how brilliant. And he said, I'm coming home to Wimbledon. And as the Tube came into Wimbledon, the people opposite me started going underground, <laughs> overground, right? And he, Mike Bat said, I thought about saying, I'm Mike Bat, but they would definitely have had no fucking idea. Without the suit, <laughs> yeah, they'd have had I no idea agree. who that was.
0: And probably not know who the Wombles were. Either. No, possibly not. You know, it's right. a long time ago. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I think that it is true, without being too self-deprecating, that quite a lot of people know about footballs coming home, but probably don't have any sense that it was written by... Uh, some people obviously do know, but some I know, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. Kids, so I write kids' books, and kids really love football's coming home. You know, it's a really big deal for them. Yeah. But, you know, when, I, when I've, uh, I was going to say gone into schools, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But when I've <laughs> gone into schools to read to children, fucking <laughs> um, it's another thing about, like, the yew the tree thing. But anyway, when I've gone into schools to read to children, I sometimes say oh, I'm also the person who wrote Football's Coming Home, and they can't quite process it. Right. It sort of feels like, but that's a completely different world. So I think that, that I don't genuinely wonder if those people would have known.
0: I think they would. It's the, it's the kind of thing Bill Murray's supposed to do all the time, is it? Bill Murray, I saw a story about Bill Murray. Someone was eating a pizza, and Bill Murray grabbed their pizza and ate it. And then said to them, "No one's going to believe you." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he he joins in a lot and does right. stuff like that by right. being Bill, which you know would be so amazing. To yeah, that's in. fantastic. I mean, everyone knows who Bill Murray is, though. I think.
1: Uh, no, younger people might not. No, I, don't maybe no. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, partly, it's partly. Imagine if Adam, you didn't know who it was. A <laughs> <laughs> man just goes, "No one's going to believe that <laughs> an old man ate my pizza." Of course, they will. <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably a lot based on memes now, isn't it? Because, yeah. like, if you think, oh, yeah, that's the bloke from that meme, which Bill Murray must be in loads of them, guess, you know, then you yeah. get it. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the young people know and don't know, Richard.
0: I don't know. And now, my question about Three Lines, which we won't talk about any more apart from this, is are you prepared and do you have lyrics written and ready to go... If England wins the Euros, because you've got it, then you've got to go. It has come home. Oh. Don't you know, it has come home. Yeah, we've got to do the arithmetic.
1: We've got to do the arithmetic, which I don't even know what it is. What is the arithmetic? If we had to rewrite it, well,
0: are we taking this? The, I've seen you debate this question as well. Are we taking it from 1966, in which yeah. case it was 30 years? Or are we taking it from 1968 or 70? Well, sorry, okay, you... yeah,
1: we should probably explain this, and it's probably really boring for anyone who's not interested in football, but. Originally, the lyrics of Three Lions are, when we wrote it in 1996, 30 years of hurt, which was back to 66. Now, someone today on Twitter, hang on, was it you? <laughs> someone today on Twitter said, as a pedantry thing, that the hurt didn't start till 1970 when England went out of the 1970 World Cup. But I then pointed out that we came fucking third in the Euros in 1968. So that is at least 28 years of hurt. Yeah. And then someone else said that we lost to Yugoslavia or something in 1967. So it's 29 years of hurt. So it might as well round it up to 30 by that time. But I, I if it's now, I can't even work it out. 50, 55, I think. Is it 55? I think it's five more years to... Yeah, but that's slightly dependent on whether you call it Euro 2020 or Euro 2021. (laughs) Because there's this weird conceptual science fiction thing that we're actually doing Euro 2020. I think you still have to count the year. You I don't do. think you can say. But, and if that year
0: didn't count, well, year because sort of, we we're all
1: inside. <laughs> it sort of didn't count. It's like, you know, a weird year where <laughs> nothing happened. Uh, all right, so it's 55... Yeah,
0: 55 years of her, and now there were, the bandage has been applied. The <laughs> plaster of us winning one nil. Yeah, that's the lyrics. shootout. Yeah, the that's finals.
1: the lyrics, exactly. Gonna I'm going to help you out, if you like. Actually, I don't know if it will work. I don't know if it'll work. I mean, you can help me out and you can release it. But <laughs> Three Lions is a song about yearning and yep. longing and really a song about mainly failing. That's one of the things about it as a song, and the reason I think it managed to, be, to chime with football fans, is that up to the point at which me and Frank wrote that song, most England songs were about we're going to win it. This time, more than any other time. No, fuck off, you're going to lose, right? (laughs) And you did, Ron Greenwood. You lost, right? And so did all of the teams that went to those tournaments singing, we're going to win, hey, 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 right? So the whole point of Three Lions was, because we were sort of real football fans, was like, let's write a song about how we're probably going to lose, but sort of think we might win anyway. And that's really the sort of, you know, feeling... Earth uh, 3 Lions, and I don't know how it would work to, to write a song about we've won. No. We, it has come home, it has come
0: home, it, look, there it,
1: it is. is. <laughs> Football's come home. <laughs> yeah, no, it works, okay. undeniably.
0: I, or in, in, 19, in 2026, you can do 30 Years of 30 Years of Hurt, you can do a song... 30 years of 30 years of hurt. That doesn't
1: work. Does, Why not call it 60? Years, Why not know, call it 60? What do you it mean the, 30 years it's of 30, 30 years? years?
0: since you did 30 years of hurt, so it's 30 years of That's 30 too years meta. of hurt.
1: Have you not heard of arithmetic? <laughs> 30, it isn't 30 years of 30 years yeah, of hurt. Yeah, stop saying it. 30 <laughs>
0: years no. of 30 years of hurt. Didn't no, you stop but, us releasing this song every time it was a football match. You know, we
1: don't release it anymore we released a, a new a different version in 1998 which I don't like as much I don't think it's as good and also it's got the phrase uh, "gazza good as before in the lyrics and he didn't fucking get picked for <laughs> right. so that tournament so that was a bit awkward I think uh yeah Glenn Hoddle said no he's not he, he, he's not coming for various reasons that I think we know uh but uh yeah the, after that we haven't rewritten it uh, and it just gets downloaded, or it gets bought, or whatever. Yeah. And we people always say to me, "Are you going to write a new one?" I'm like, no, <laughs> that would just be terrible. Write
0: thirty years of thirty years. Thirty of her, years of thirty, 30 years. They'll of, love it. People will love that. Yeah. And then after another thirty years, thirty years or thirty years or thirty years of
1: it. Yeah, but I'll be dead then. <laughs> just record it now. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, for my children. Yeah.
0: <laughs> for the David Bedil estate, and actually there was one more thing about it in that you tweeted oh. about Darren Anderson, yes, humming the song just yes. enough.
1: <laughs> well, that was really sweet. It's oh, I great. It's really sweet. Is that so? Darren Anderson, who played for England in 1996, he um, wrote, uh, or no, was a, there was a big piece in the Guardian, uh, and he was interviewed for it, and he said that it's really interesting, actually, that you normally, as an England player, are quite nervous playing for England, and it's quite a pressurised experience. But the, when, we were, when we played Holland, we, who we beat 4-1, uh, the, in the second half, he just thought, this is brilliant, I'm just enjoying myself, and he started humming the song while he was playing. <laughs> uh, and I put this on Twitter, and someone said, I'm surprised he didn't injure his larynx. <laughs> which is a joke about how much Darren Anderson got injured. Thank you for that applause, football-knowledgeable man. Uh, but I tweeted that although it was a lovely thing, I was slightly worried that, you know, if he'd carried on humming it throughout the tournament, that later on he might have thought, oh, God, if I hadn't spent so long humming the chorus and trying to get the chorus right, I wouldn't have hit the post. I'd have got that golden goal, right? Which would have been marvellous, because if anyone yeah. remembers, Darren Anderson hitting the post against Germany is up there for me with Gaza missing that two inches thing yeah. that would have been that was an amazing extra sorry now I'm getting too football but that extra time if anyone does remember it against Germany obviously we lost and it was painful but it was at a time when you know UEFA were playing this golden goal rule which means like it's a schoolboy thing it's like first goal wins right <laughs> in extra time and they stopped doing it because they thought... This is actually quite a moving thing, I think. They thought, and I think it proved to be right, that teams eventually just played incredibly defensively because they were really worried. Uh, no, Oh, no, we, we're too worried about the goal. But in that particular half hour, they played both sides unbelievably attacking football. And I remember reading a newspaper article saying that both teams played as if they had nothing to lose the way they do in dreams. And I remember being incredibly (laughs) moved by that. Yeah. It'd be
0: better if we'd won, though, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, it'd be fucking better. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It would have been.
1: Do you know? Uh, you know this. Sorry, this is sorry. Just, we should leave three lives but obviously the tournament is about to start. So something you may know, but something you may not know is that the Germans nicked the song afterwards. The Germans decided the song was theirs, and I don't wish to be xenophobic, but that is so fucking German. Isn't it? <laughs> it's like we have won the tournament, we will have the song. It just seems to me like unbelievably, you know, like German. Like, like why not, right? And yeah. even though the song's all about England, you cunts. <laughs> but nonetheless, they've decided it's theirs. So. So, and they do now. They offer. They sing it uh, at football matches or whatever. And actually, me and Frank were asked by the Germans again, with no sense that it might be painful for us, to go and sing the song at German sports personality of the year, (laughs) which is even more painful than our sports personality of the year, which is quite a painful show. Uh, And so we did. But when we got there, um, we insisted on wearing 1966 replica red shirts. (laughs) And, and the director said, take those off. And we said, no, we're not going to take them off. So we sung the song on German Swaps the Year wearing those shirts. And Uwe Saylor was in the audience who played for Germany at the time and he registered an official complaint. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go.
0: It's as bad as wearing swastikas
1: to wear <laughs> yes, to exactly. in Germany. Yeah.
0: You can't wear swastikas or an England shirt. Let yeah. me ask you to come to. This. I can't believe you went to Germany to sing we our song. Thought it'd be a laugh. Well, a di- it was. <laughs> I can't believe you would sell out like that. Sell out three lines. Um, so look, you were halfway through a tour when uh, lockdown yeah. happened. So, so you've uh, you'd done three stand-up shows since you sort of came back to stand-up. Yeah. All along the uh, well, the titular theme. Yeah. Of. Uh, um, not The. Not The, yeah. So yeah. Fame, Not The Musical, yeah. My Family, Not The
1: Sitcom, Trolls, Trolls, Not Trolls, The Dolls, which yeah. sat,
0: which I, is the only one I haven't seen, which right. I was planning to come and see, but
1: then... Well, it will be on. The way. It will be on uh, second half of the tour. I mean, it's a really, really weird thing. Uh, I don't know if you were... Were you touring when... No, we, we,
0: we, I was just doing more of these,
1: and then so right. we, uh,
0: we lost some of these in London, but, yeah, that was the only gig Right. We lost.
1: Well, I have to say, it's weird. I'm hoping it's going to be all right, but... Obviously, no-one's had this experience. I won't be the only comedian who's who's had it, but uh, of being halfway through a show, which was going well. I was really enjoying it. It felt very current in March 2020. And now I've put it in the freezer and got to bring it out again in September. And, I mean, some of the jokes aren't going to work. I mean, there's ten minutes about fucking Trump, and I'm not sure... That's going to work as well, because um, yeah. I think he's not as current as he was then. I mean, well, the question is, and this is literally a sort of thing I haven't worked out yet, is that material w- was working really well. So do I still try it, saying, hey, do you remember this guy? <laughs> yeah. right? Doing a whole thing about, like, oh, well, it, that happened. Yeah. Or do I have to just cut it, and I don't know yet? It becomes, like, nostalgic. It's Peter Kay.
0: Who remembers, who remembers Donald Trump? Who remembers that? Anyone remember that guy? What was that about? the hair, orange, he was all orange. What was going on? Like like you did with Quattro, just before I (laughs) came on. That's what
1: you did do. (laughs) I don't remember Quattro, by the way. No, no one
0: remembers it. That's my problem. The things I remember, no one remembers. That's why it's very, you know, remembering stuff is harder than you think, Dave.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You yeah. Remember things that people it think they've forgotten the but case. haven't forgotten. It used to be the case that that was a thing in comedy, and then that became a bit of a yeah. bad thing to do in comedy to just come on and say, "Who remembers Spangles?" That yeah. became like Absolutely. you don't do that because that's shit. Yeah, but you, so you were doing an ironic version yeah. of that, were you? With Quattro? Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't understand.
0: Right, my, my uh, part, uh,
1: completely over my whoosh,
0: whoosh. My other one was, "Who remembers 9/11?" Come on, who re- <laughs> remember those planes? <laughs> 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 what was that all about? Whose idea was that? <laughs> uh. Oh no, I'm not doing it's exactly like Spangles. That's my old So, well, so your the, the premise of this show is uh, the Trolls one is about that is, is it's
1: you about internet rage yeah, and, and madness you. and uh, you know people getting angry and really furious on social media and it's to some extent also uh, you know a diary of my life through my twitter feed uh and actually it's not completely anti-social media it's sort of about my love-hate relationship with it and my own addiction to it and the fact that you get fucking mental shit and then you get really entertaining stuff and i do believe that it still exists in that space somewhere between you know oh my god it's full of the worst people in the world and the angriest people in the world and i do believe that we have an issue whereby outrage... I talked about this actually in my last show, that outrage creates identity. One mm-hmm. reason why people are so angry is that it's sort of not a marketplace of ideas. Twitter. It's a marketplace of identity. And one way you can say, oh, this is who I am, is to be really angry in opposition to someone who's not like you. right? Yeah. And that, as a result of that, we've got this kind of binary, absurd culture war. At the same time, fucking hilarious stuff on it as well that I think is really entertaining and funny. And I can't really do any of it here because the way that I do it in the show is with a screen. Yeah. And I did think, oh, what if I explained it? And then I thought, that'll be shit, right? <laughs> so really, you just need to come and see it because yeah. virtually every gag in that show comes off sort of showing something that's happened on my Twitter feed.
0: But it's interesting because people say, you know, as you've said, people say don't feed the trolls, but you yeah. you, you have a policy of replying once and well, getting out. Well, I did.
1: The... I did. I sort of stopped doing that. I mean, there's enough to give me material because my basic position was these are hecklers, right? That basically, when it first started that Twitter or whatever social media, but particularly Twitter, was not just a space in which people would be lovely, but people would basically call you a complete wanker <laughs> out of nowhere... That's an experience that everyone's had as a comedian, right? And you don't ignore it, you try and make it funny. So it's really like an abusive person just shouting at you out in the dark and you try and make it funny. So I would screenshot it and then try and say something funny about it. And then if it was funny, then people would like that, just like they do in a club. But then after a while, and there's lots of that in the show, but then after a while I stopped doing it because I did think some of these people aren't even fucking real, are they? They're just like (laughs) weird troll farm people... Who are getting really angry for reasons that I don't even understand, and that seems to be less of a joy in putting them down as Maybe. a heckling.
0: i mean I don't know how much that's true. we all talk about that sort of stuff i mean i think there's a lot of people i think the problem is a lot of the people who do it are, are deeply troubled and unhappy, and this is you know they're striking out in a way to just make themselves feel better or they feel envious of what they imagine you are a lot of the time I think. Yeah. And so they think you need to be taken down or, you know, they've got an image of you. Yeah, as entitled. Um, I've, you know, I used to join in and try and be funny or being rude to them or retweet them. And then I, what I've started doing recently is to try and just be nice to them and say, look, you know, I don't know what's going on in your life that makes you want to do this. But I'm, I'm absolutely, whenever you want to just have a chat, I'm here if you want to have a chat and talk
1: about it. And have any it. of I them mean, said, I want to have a chat. and yeah, uh, Come round to your house. What happened...
0: The last time I did it to you, the guy went, no, shut up, you know, fuck off, fuck off. Seriously, you know, if you, uh, I'll, I don't mind what you've said, I don't care about any of it, but if you want to... And then you know, at some ca-
1: point did he you, cry?
0: In the end, he came back to me about two months later and said, oh, man, I was sorry to hear about you having cancer and stuff, <laughs> and I hope I didn't... Uh, and, uh, I feel... I made a joke about it, but he, he sort of did, he, you know, it he, he took the wind out of his sails just by, being, by like, being like, I'm not saying I'm Jesus... But it's, the, it's what Jesus would have done yeah. in this situation. If Jesus had had one but I was more successful because yeah. it worked and it, and it
1: solved the problems. Jesus didn't work. Is no, that what you're saying? D- no,
0: it didn't really work out, did it? Everyone's fighting over whether he's, you know, his blood's really blood or wine or whatever. And it's, <laughs> no one's saying no one's that. doing that about you. No one's saying yeah. say Richard. He's
1: made it clear his blood is Did you his, think though, for a second? Blood. Did you think for a second? Right. I will, it'll be a long, long bait and switch. So I will say to this person who's really being horrible to me, yeah. Look, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I, you know, if you ever want to talk about it, that's fine. He's like, ah, Fucking, I hate you. you? you know, no, no, really, it's all fine, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And two months later, he comes to you and he says, Look, I'm really sorry about that. And I'm really sorry you got cancer. And you say, You cunt. <laughs> oh, did, you, did, did you think about that? Well, <laughs> oh, f- that's a shame.
0: Because, well, because I think, well, it's also the International Men's Day thing that I did for years and then I stopped doing. You know, it was quite, it was sort of aggressive, passive aggressive. It was fun and it was taking the piss out of people being stupid. But then on International Men's Day last year, I, I asked people to just be positive about men. I just said, Let, let's use it. Rather than on International Women's Day being white, going, why aren't the men covered when they are? Um, why don't we just, just tweet something nice about a, someone, a good guy in your life? And loads of people did it, and I thought this is a much nicer thing yeah. to do. Even though the, the point I was making was valid and good and funny, yeah. and this isn't at all funny. No, this is much. This this is a much nicer way to yeah. spread the news that's about it. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know, and that's so you can still use uh, Twitter and social media for what it was when it when it did start. Twitter was a, actually it's a kind lovely of a place. interesting, to be.
1: and this isn't really meant to be a joke, right? Yeah. But that you've had half a bollock off. And your international men's day guy right? yeah. so, no, because i mean that is sort of a, a weird poetry in yeah. that, isn't there don't you think i've got
0: a foot in both camps now i mean you've got to be careful <laughs> have you got well,
1: that as well because like one half <laughs> have you had some problem with your legs well, one half i'm half a
0: man and half not a man
1: right no but that's exactly what i'm not saying yeah, yeah. right because as, as i thought about doing virtually that joke I thought I do not want to say, particularly to you or anyone else who's had problems with their testicles, that it makes them less of a man. Yeah. But it's interesting that you were the face of <laughs> International Men's Day stuff, yeah. and then your manhood, for want of a better word, did get corrupted. Well, it is. <laughs> well, a lot, it is a, well, I do. I do want to. Exp- I'm going to write a lot about this,
0: obviously, and I'm going to write about that. Why, you know, it's crazy that that would be a, be associated with masculinity when it's the weakest fucking part of anybody's body in the external part of anyone's body it is anything. isn't it
1: yeah that is true i mean this is like not you know original observational comedy no. but it is amazing how much you are vulnerable in your <laughs> testicle area yes. i mean i mean and people still laugh about it like any time on a football match when a player goes down because they've been hitting the, bollocks, the commentator's still a bit, oh, he'll feel that in a minute, oh, blah, blah, blah. No, it really fucking hurts. (laughs) Don't make fun of it, Glenn Hoddle, right? That's what I always think, because it is extraordinarily vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But equally, it's it's interesting with all this, all the discussion about gender and everything, that you are not, you don't become a different person by having... Losing any of that stuff, you know. So it's you're you're. So you're I went whoa over there. You know, and if it was America, these... <laughs> that would be a
1: huge round of applause. Yeah. But still not okay. Fair enough. Become, <laughs> you know,
0: so it's not, and it's sort of insulting. It's fine. It's fine. To, don't patronise him. Really, it's insulting to anyone who's you know had an accident or, or had a, a medical thing to sort of go. Oh, you know, this is. It's, you're still the person you are, and that's that's yeah what's of course, of course, so you know it does make you realize but did you
1: at any point think in like later like magical thinking way? I shouldn't have done all that men's day stuff because that's somehow or other what's led to this. Well,
0: everything, because I did a show about Cox, I did a show yes, about Hitler. All that, yeah. I did a show Your about whole, nearly
1: whole. I'm, I'm a big man thing yeah. that you've done.
0: Everything led to this. So, well, I just thought it, it makes it ironically amusing and, you know, I've, I do sort of find it mainly amusing even though it's happened to me. Yeah. So, like, all the way through I've just been thinking, of it. it's, you know, there's hardly been a moment where I haven't found it funny. <laughs> because it just is sort of like have all the people yeah. this could happen
1: to you're is... you 're the funniest one it could yeah, happen to totally like... yeah <laughs> yeah i 'm trying to think of someone funnier, but i don 't know if there is yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe that squirrel that had enormous bollocks on bake off. <laughs> But that would be harsh on the squirrel for that to happen. It's still a squirrel. Yeah, it's a lovely squirrel. I feel I deserve it. No, you deserve uh... it. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) One thing I was going to say about trolls, and I don't, I I really don't want to talk through any of the bits in the show because they will be shit, I think, without seeing the screen. Uh, but, but one thing, one bit I have in the show is about how comedy on social media, on Twitter, is often not recognised as such. Yeah. And it is a new form, and so you think it's quite, I mean, so not comedy, I mean Twitter, and trying to do jokes on it is therefore revealing. Because I have a whole section where I say, here are some jokes I did, and here are some people who didn't get them, right? Yeah. So, for example, and so this is just painting a picture that will be funnier if you see it, but Uh, Rod Stewart uh, put out a picture of himself in a dressing gown uh, with a birthday cake uh, and smiling at camera. Uh, And I retweeted that picture and I said something like, it's lovely how this care home has done all this for this old lady's birthday. (laughs) And someone underneath wrote, looks like Rod Stewart. And that's... I've got thousands of things like that. Thousands of where people just haven't... Like why would I say that? <laughs> like why would I out of nowhere choose this old woman to say that about? <laughs> it's sort of astonishing
0: that when people know you're a comedian. That's like, you know, ninety yeah. percent of my Twitter feed is jokes. Yeah. And but people who follow you, who presumably know that you're a comedian, <laughs> will just suddenly take something incredibly seriously. Yeah. That you're going to what? what at what point did you? So you know, if you, that that's the irony, and everything and it sort of dies, doesn't it? Because it's, Do someone will to take see... it seriously.
1: It sort of went a bit viral uh, at the start of the pandemic. Uh, It was a bloke uh, doing a thing you've probably seen many times, someone on telly and their child comes in while they're on a live thing, and um, it's all really sweet and adorable and whatever. Uh, and there was one in which a bloke turned around and said, just fuck off. Get out of here, you fucking little twat. Fuck off, you cunt, right? And that went a bit viral. And uh, I saw, I think it was Carol Malone, the journalist, say, this is awful. Doesn't this person know, you know, that they're broadcasting or whatever? And I said, uh, she said, it's just unbelievable. And I said, yes, it is unbelievable, Carol, because it's my brother right? It's my brother, and it's fucking obviously a joke, but if you go and see that, it's very funny, it's very funny either my brother just set it up so many people were, t- were taken in by it yeah. so many people genuinely thought that that went out, without any apology <laughs> it doesn't cut back to the woman talking to him saying that's terrible I'm so sorry, it just carries on and they still thought it was real yeah, well, you know,
0: if we needed any evidence, it sort of proves that most people in the world are stupid, but I think yeah I think the world's already shown, <laughs> shown that with what's happening. Um, hey, look, we should talk about your book and your new book before we go. See it. It's absolutely excellent. It's not that
1: funny. It's got some jokes There's in some it, jokes, it. There's some jokes in it. There's some jokes in it. The other day, I because, uh, you know, authors do this. I'm sure you do it. I checked its position in the Amazon chart. So it's got a lot of... Amazon do this weird thing of saying your book is number one in various different charts. So my book has been number one in constitutional law, and I don't even know what that fucking is, right? No idea, but this book, Jews don't count what. Well. So uh, at the moment, it's number three in Jewish history, right? And all the... Thank you. And all the other books in Jewish history, number one is called Inside the Nazi Party, right? <laughs> Number two is Man's Search for Meaning, which has a picture of Auschwitz on it, and then the other one is called something like, you know, I don't know, We All Died. So uh, I did say at uh, number three, I think mine has at least got the most gags in it, which it does. It does have some actual jokes in it, but Fair it argue. is, on the whole, a serious polemic. Yeah. Well,
0: it's yeah, it's a very, it's it's great. It's sort of a, about um, you know pointing out the hypocrisy and and racism of. Uh, of people who claim to be woke, I suppose, more, which is quite an interesting... Yeah, sort of. I mean,
1: I mean, what it is, it's about identity politics yeah. and about the fact that we live in a time where people are very focused on identity and on, on concerns of minorities in a very good way, I think, most of the time, but that, in my opinion, that has left out or continually downgrades anti-Semitism as a concern. Yeah. I could read a bit from it that perhaps might give you that sure. idea. So. This isn't a particularly funny bit, okay. but it does give the idea about what it's about. So I start the book with a series of examples of what I would say are uh, you know, uh, moments that would be considered certainly microaggressions, or maybe macroaggressions, against any other minority, but for some reason are not thought of uh, towards Jews. Sometimes you hear what I'm talking about out loud. The major BBC current affairs show, the one that sets the news agenda every morning, is the Today programme on Radio 4. It's a must-listen for those interested in politics and a must-react to. If something controversial is said on Today, Twitter is set alight and the conversation explodes. On the 13th of March, 2019, the American pollster John Zogby was on. At one point, he began talking about fissures in the Democratic Party – specifically around the then-new congresswoman Ilhan Omar's views about Israel and its supporters in the US. The interviewer, Justin Webb, who is a regular on today, said in response, if the party decided to say to its supporters, look, we think anti-Semitism is a bit like the way some of our people might regard anti-white racism, that actually it's a different order of racism. It's not as important. It's still bad, but it's not as important as some other forms of racism, what impact do you think that might have? It was a strange moment. It felt less like a question and more like a helpful suggestion. Maybe this would be a way forward for the Democrats, was the tone. Webb did not qualify or contextualise it. He did not preface or add, obviously this is offensive to say, but perhaps it's what most people in the party actually think. His tone was neutral. Zogby moved on without really answering. But even if he had, it was the question itself I was struck by. I remember listening and thinking, blimey, it's rare that someone just comes out with it. Anti-Semitism is a second-class racism. I thought it would create controversy. I thought there would be an intense reaction. There wasn't. Well, that's not true. There was a bit. After I managed, followed much fiddling about with BBC sounds and recording devices on my computer, to record the question and post it on Twitter with a sense of my amazement. Even then, there wasn't much online noise, and what there was came mainly from Jews. So actually, when I say, sometimes you hear it out loud, what I really heard was the silence. And that sort of sums it up, really. Yeah. Is that, uh, thank you. Thank you. That saying that, about any other minority. Yeah. You know, this doesn't really matter, does it? Why not use that? So why don't the Democrats just adopt that as a formal political position? We think this isn't a very important form of discrimination. It'd be fucking outrage, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. But literally, like, nothing. And the book begins with a number of different examples of that. And actually, it's been totally brilliant in general. I mean, obviously, I've had some racist pushback, obviously. But mainly, it's been... A lot of people who the book is aimed at, I guess people with progressive politics, have said, I've read this, and you know what? It's really challenged me, and I'm really going to think about it, and whatever. I've also had a lot of Jews saying, Oh, you know, we've sort of been saying this for a while, but no one's put it in a bite-sized package like this before. But the third thing that's been really fucking interesting is the amount of Jews who have said, I have spent my whole life being ashamed of being Jewish, never telling anyone about it, frightened of mentioning it, being told by my grandparents, don't tell anyone because I was a Holocaust survivor, and you, blah, 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 and I never mention it, and now I will. I will. I've read your book, and I'm going to try and mention it. And that's not just older people. It's also quite young people who say, and this is the most interesting thing, I'm at Sheffield University or whatever. I have these woke conversations all the time. Uh, I'm in a space where everyone wants to talk about identity and minority, and not just racism, you know, sexism, you know, anti-disabled, whatever it might be, different types of identity. And it's all really vital and important. If I mention anti-Semitism, they look at me like, what? How is that important? And, then people are, and they say, sometimes I hear people being anti-Semitic and I'm too frightened to yeah. mention it because it feels illegitimate to them. Like, I got a long text, heartbreaking, from this young guy called Noah, saying, I've always felt I can't mention it because they'll just think I'm a twat for trying to include that in yeah. their important conversations. And he said he's read it and now he's going to change. So that feels to me like something important that he's done.
0: I think it is. It's, you know, but it's interesting that there's a few comedians who've written uh, books that really sum up an, an issue, I think. Mae Martin's written a great book about gender and... Uh, you know, and and, and uh, trans issues and stuff like that. When you've is, written a book, I've written International a great Men's book. Day. I've written a great book about International Men's Day, but it's you know, but it's interesting that comedians are doing it and 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 actually getting to the you know, obviously using humour as a way of helping people get to the nub of an argument. But it's sort of strange that it's falling to comedians to to because this book is you know, you, there are funny things in there. But it is just a, a, a you know, it's, no, it's a, a proper an analysis of the yeah. situation, which does put it out. If you, you know, if you're one of those Labour guys who go, no, of course I'm not racist. If you read it, uh, uh, and of course I'm not anti-Semitic or whatever, then you go, okay, I understand why. The, the, someone would see that that is anti-Semitic because the, the tropes, the reason that they're, they're arguing that, that Jewish people don't count yeah. is because they believe... That the, Jews are powerful and privileged yes. and don't need the protections that they're, they're, afforded they're, to other
1: minorities and that is a racist myth about yeah, Jews. Yeah, so
0: they somehow believe that Jewish people are in charge of the world while still yeah. being that, but an underclass in the world as yes. well. So they're, they're, they're falling for these centuries-old... Yeah. Tropes of of, of way yeah. you know the 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 fact the devil is has is, is uh, traditionally been portrayed as a yeah as a Jewish character yeah. and, and it's so ingrained
1: yeah and it's sort of astonishing. It's one of the things. One of the things that I mentioned in the book uh, is the use of the word Jew. Now my Twitter biography is just one word Jew, and that isn't because I'm religious. I'm not. I'm an atheist. But I always thought I actually you know it's one of the things is, is actually I mentioned all these comedians, British comedians who are Jewish, and they're all comedians I really admire, but actually I think most people wouldn't know they were Jewish. I'm one of very few British Jewish comedians, British Jewish people who are in the media, who has made being Jewish part of their identity. Mm -hmm. And that is also about Jewish shame. It's also about Jews thinking "Mm, I don't know if I really want to talk about this, or whatever. So one of the things I talk about in the book, with that, is the weird energy around the word Jew. Around the fact that people write to me sometimes and say, "Oh, should I say Jewish person? Should I say Jew or Jewish?" In fact, Phil Wang was writing a book, and uh, you know, I love Phil Wang, and I'm not criticising him in any way because I thought it interesting that he did this. But he's writing a novel with a Jewish person. He he wrote to me like I'm the fucking touchstone (laughs) of it. Like I'm, I know everything about it. Like, is it all right if I call (laughs) them a Jew, or should I call them a Jewish person, or whatever? And what I quote is, because it is amazing, the energy, the bad energy that surrounds the word, is I wrote a novel, again, quite a serious novel, called The Secret Purposes, which is about my granddad, who was a refugee from Nazism, got interned on the Isle of Man in the Second World War. Something that people generally don't know about, again, because Jews don't count, is that uh, all German refugee Jews in Britain, uh, were, most of them were interned as enemy aliens on the Isle of Man in the Second World War. And that happened to my dad. So, uh, Not my dad, my granddad. And I wrote a novel based on that in which a translator goes there and interviews people to find out what's happening in the war because the British government was suppressing information at the time about the Holocaust, right? And she translates a Nazi, because there were Nazis there as well, using the word, you didn't. And she says, that means Jewess, right, in English. Literally, it means Jewess. But then she says... That my character, that doesn't feel right because she said it so contemptuously. How do I get the contempt? And then she says, Jewish women, no, that's not right. And then she realizes the way to do it is to say Jew women. That the way you get a Nazi saying the word you in English is to translate it as Jew women. And no other word in the English language works like this. Jewish boy, Jew boy. Jewish banker, Jew banker. Listen how it changes, how it changes moral color as I lose the ish. It's really extraordinary. And that's because the word is deeply buried in toxic, what I'm going to call structural racism in Judeo-Christian culture. Centuries and centuries of centuries of Jew being associated with evil. But that's why I put it on my Twitter feed, because in my tiny way, I am trying to reclaim it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, it's, it's a really, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's a really great book. I listened to the audio book uh, and, and also bought the book, so you've got two, If you sold more than two copies? have sold I've, more than two copies, you, okay, yeah, yeah. It's not all me. No. Um, so it's, it's a great, well, again, I really love being able to hear the author, and especially when it's a comedian, reading
1: the book. I th- well, I think that even though it's a mainly serious book, yeah. and that, in your point about May Martin's book and your book... Something to do with it, I think, might be is that short books in which you're trying to put forward like an argument about something have a stand-up quality to them, even if they're not all about funny. So, because someone wrote to me, an academic, a Jewish academic, and said, I really like your book. I wouldn't be able to write it in that voice. And she's right, because she's an academic, whereas I have a sort of voice that I've honed through years of stand-up. And it's still there, even if I'm not doing jokes about my child's penis getting caught in a zip (laughs) when he was three. (laughs) I think it's true but you it, know it,
0: it's something and it's very it's a quick read it's a quick listen yeah you know and it and it and it really it really kind of gets i think also writing a short book you have to get the argument so succinct that's yeah. what i found it was sort of harder than writing a long book in a way because you have to really so
1: what your, what is the argument of your men well book? it's
0: about what it's about whether it's about toxic masculinity and whether and why men are asking that question and why men are, are feeling challenged and you know and then you know and I, it was a little bit of a journey for me as well to seeing the other side in that situation as well and and, and where we progress and why men shouldn't be Afraid of feminism and why it actually helps right. most men as well. Yeah, so it's you know it's it's once you find that journey, you find the argument to 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 have to get it down to to the brass tacks of it is is um is very interesting. It is quite controversial, but you do at one point say that Bo Selector is a very funny program. And that, I don't know whether <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised In that a very hasn't. particular
1: context. I say that, <laughs> but still, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so apart from that, but yeah, anyway, but it is it, you know it's interesting that that point's interesting that that Lee Francis has apologised for all the black characters, but he did a character of you, which was... He did a
1: character of me as a grotesque yeah. Jew, yeah, which he's not apologised for. But, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not asking for that. No. I'm just pointing out discrepancies. Well, that's,
0: I mean, because, you know, and I've seen this, even in having you, mentioning you on Twitter, uh, that people will keep coming back to the stuff in fantasy football, yes. where you you uh, did the Jason Lee stuff, and, yeah. you've, you know, you were, A, you, I said, read David's book, because he addresses that, no way! I'm yeah. going to read the you go.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. No, address so, it over and over again. Yeah, you address it's all it. right. I'm fine to address it over and over again.
0: But it's this weird. That's a weird thing in in you know. I don't. I think in your book, you're not you're not calling for anyone to be you know castigated or cancelled for the, no, this
1: sort definitely of stuff. not.
0: But also, it's this this idea that because with my book a little bit, people said, "Oh, Richard Sharing used to do jokes about women, and now he's saying he's a feminist," which are not. I don't think. I think the jokes I did before were largely okay. But also, I'm, I'm not really. You know, going oh look at me, I'm oh, no, a great feminist. I'm sort of discussing the issues, but surely that's what you want, right? If you're saying I don't want a racist society, someone going oh I made a mistake yeah. is better than them going I didn't make a mistake, and furthermore yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to come out and do the thing again. Yeah. So you know, when someone's when someone's done, so, it, it sort of seems weird that people are going back 20 years with well, anyone because because
1: Twitter in particular trying. is a, is I mean you know not that specifically, but in general. I think that uh, what Twitter has proved is that the great thrill of the internet, which we thought perhaps when it started would be momentary fame or pornography (laughs) or whatever it is, has turned out to be telling people off. Yeah. Like telling people off is a really big fucking thrill on the internet, right? And I think some of that has been good. You know, some people need telling off and that's good. But I also think understanding and mercy and redemption are part of, you know, the good things in life. Yeah. And that they're going. Well, if... and
0: learning and, cha- and you know, and moving on and changing, you know. So, like, everyone will have had things. I and mean, that's what I can't... Because if you, if you, so many people are anonymous on there, but you could just go, well, let's look back at your, what you said when you were 18. Yeah, You're being you Jesus again,
1: aren't you? You're doing cast the first yeah. stone.
0: <laughs> well, if you look back at my, t- my teenage diary, you would definitely find some stuff that I would be in trouble for.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, it's and I, but I don't think that anymore, and I've learnt. And if so,
1: someone said on Twitter uh, that if Jesus came back today and said that thing about casting the first stone on Twitter then someone else would say, oh, right, so you're in favour of stone-throwing, <laughs> are you, in general? Which I think is true. Yeah. People would say that. Yeah. Well, look, it's great. We've got a bit serious, haven't we? We have, but that's There allowed. were quite a lot of laughs to begin with, then we got serious, yeah. but it seemed to be all right. It was okay. They seemed to go with it.
0: I can ask you a silly question at the end, and then okay. that will change it all around. It's, you know, there's there's room to be uh, serious yeah. in, this, in this podcast. Okay. You know, there's a little bit of room, and then... You have to shut that down <laughs> and say something Are you stupid on your phone I've for got, a silly question. I've got new. Can't you just not, think of a silly question? I want to give you one of my new. I want to try and try out my new. What's stupid happened to question? you
1: that you have to look at your phone?
0: Because You're I've up... written new ones and I want to try them out. Yeah, but can't you just like think of the first silly question that comes to no, your head? You don't understand how difficult this is to come <laughs> up with. This amazing... All right. You can't just come up with a question like this. Some of these are just uh, very rough drafts. You can't come up with this question off the top of your head. Would you rather have a conversation with a dolphin or an elephant?
1: You can't can't come up with that off the top of your head. You certainly can. Um, (laughs) Would I rather have a conversation with a dolphin or an elephant? Well, I think probably a dolphin because... When dolphins speak to you, yeah. right, they just go click, 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 right? And you could work that out with Morse code and all that. Yeah. But, because uh, I assume that's what it is. It's Morse code, isn't it? I assume that's what it is. And I assume it's mainly, can I have some fish? I don't know. But it might be more interesting than that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also, aren't they quite sexual, dolphins? So they might be interested in that. So that would be good. I believe they are, aren't they? Yeah, they aren't are. They? But why would you be interested in having sex with a dolphin? I'm interested in having sex with anything <laughs> <laughs> at my age. Uh, but an elephant, as uh, much as I like elephants, it's a really loud, I don't know if you know this, it's a really loud palping noise that yeah. they make. It's a, and after a while, that would get hard to listen to, yeah, but I think.
0: But wouldn't you like to ask an elephant what it's like having a crazy trunk?
1: I'd like to ask then what, what it's like having me. a very long memory. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you know, they've got that as well. And why oh. are you scared of mice? I would say that as well. <laughs> they would, so, there's an
0: elephant out there writing a book yeah. that, that stereotypes about elephants. <laughs> yeah, that I've fallen <laughs> that, into. Yeah, I don't have a long memory. <laughs> I don't even remember you saying that. That's <laughs> how short my memory yeah. is. And and I'm certainly not standing like this because of a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, that was that, was that one's not going to be in the book. Yeah, this one be. is going to be in the book, though. Would you rather have the ability to produce honey from a special honey stomach... Honey, stomach? Yeah, so it's in your stomach and you just sick up the... the, Yeah, like a bee. Yeah, or be able to make a pearl in your gallbladder gallbladder every ten years.
1: Is that what an oyster does?
0: No. Okay. (laughs) You would... It doesn't have a gallbladder. You would sick the honey up through your mouth, producing ten kilograms of honey per year. Yeah. I'm going to make that per month. Okay. Which you could eat or sell to unsuspecting members of the public. Yeah. Each pearl would be worth 8,000 US dollars but would have to pass you'd have to pass it with your urine through your urethra It's
1: definitely the fucking honey yeah. I mean definitely I mean for a start passing anything through my urethra apart from urine or sperm yeah. is a bad idea, yeah. I think. I mean, I, you know, I haven't, I've never had... it. If, a... if it's eight th- worth 8,000 US dollars. You see, I think you're thinking about me in the stereotype there. You're thinking <laughs> he'll definitely... He'll take any pain through his uncircumcised urethra for <laughs> that pearl. That's what you're thinking. <laughs> so, no, I don't want the pearl. It'd, it'd just be awful. Well, how quickly does it come out? The pearl... As quickly as a gallstone would come. It's
0: difficult to pass and it's painful, but then
1: 8,000. <laughs> 8, pounds. <laughs> 8, my worry is, who is going to actually buy that and wear it round their neck when it's been up my <laughs> oh, cock? There would be some people. <laughs> would there? That
0: would add extra value. David Baddiel's <laughs> cock pearls. <laughs> David <Baddiel's> cock
1: pearls. <laughs> They're all round here. <laughs> it's a weird pearl necklace thing. Uh, so I don't want that. No, okay. I want the honey, but I'm not sure who would eat the honey as well. I I mean mean, (laughs) this has been pointed out before I think, but I mean honey coming out of my cock I don't think people would want either to spread on their toast in the morning but it is kind of weird that how does it come out of bees? Is it vomit? (laughs) (laughs) You've given up on this. I I haven't looked
0: into it. (laughs) There's some it comes out somehow.
1: (laughs) Okay, but I it's weird that if it is insect vomit that we that we're all right with that in the morning and we think that's nice. If so, your sperm in, no.
0: tasted like Honey David, people would put it on their breasts. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I'm
1: telling you. Would they? They would. They definitely would. Okay, well, that, though, that's the answer. I'd like it in jars and sold at farm shops. I <laughs> suppose <laughs> Marmite sort of like... If Marmite Could out I make candles cock. out of it as well? Because people make yeah. candles out of beeswax and they stuff. Do. Yeah, if you like. I'd have to be doing a lot of... Am I wanking for this honey? <laughs> no, you're...
0: you're I'm the just one producing who's made it.
1: The, you're the one who's made the honey come out of your cock, mate. Why?
0: Well, am I'm saying it's coming out of your mouth, out of your honey stomach. you other the one who's decided no, you, oh, I see, yes, no, you yes, want honey right. coming out of your got, cock. I've got the
1: pearls coming out of my cock. The yeah. honey's coming out of my mouth. But I'm very, sorry. Very I normal. I got confused. <laughs> very normal. I've got okay. one more. What have you done with your glasses? You look about 70. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my reading glasses. Okay. Um, would you rather... There's a good one here. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Would you rather go on a cruise with Tom Cruise or a walking holiday with Christopher Walken?
1: Hooray! Okay, that's a very good one. I wouldn't want to go on a cruise with anyone because I believe they are COVID hellholes. So outdoors, you know, mask-free with Christopher Walken, even though he might shoot me because I believe he's (laughs) quite—he's quite quite like that. Well, he shoots
0: himself. That's the thing with him. He just.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that'd be all right. That would be quite an interesting moment in a ramble with Christopher Walken. (laughs) He does an amazing version in The Simpsons of Goodnight Moon. Have you ever heard it? Oh, yeah. Good night, moon. <laughs> good night, moon. He goes, anyway, that's it. That's, that's my Christopher Walken impression. Can you do one? It's one of those impressions that I people could can do. You I can't. can He's a very good dancer, isn't he, Christopher Very Walken. good dancer. That would be good for the walking. Yeah. The Christopher Walken. I mean, he'd be
0: a, definitely a much better companion. I'd rather go on a cruise with Christopher Walken than a walk question. with Tom Cruise. That's not
1: in the question, <laughs> is it? No. And there's no joy in that. There's no pun joy in that. Here I am on a cruise with Christopher Walken. That's not a pun. Just interesting, though. Interesting, isn't it? yeah. Uh, if you, uh, if you had to
0: choose any Hollywood star to go on a cruise with, who would it be? I bet a lot of people would say Tom Cruise. If you just well, just that by, by association. Yeah. Yeah. Just if you ask that question, Carl. which
1: Hollywood star? It's like that Darren Brown suggestible <laughs> yeah. thing. Which Hollywood star would you like to go on a cruise with? Tom Cruise. Then, Why have I said that? I don't know. Written
0: on a piece of paper. Yeah. Well. Thank I you. don't think we can top that. No, we can't I top don't that. Think we, can we can't
1: top, top the small laughs, <laughs> that accompany the Tom Cruise, Christopher Walken bit. That's good. Can I go on a cruise with Natalie Portman? But Thank just, you for the yes. That's a big yes from Natalie in because the of audience Because of, of port-holes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Can I go on a cruise with Natalie Starboard? <laughs> That's shit. <laughs> Please stop this gig. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for David Baddiel. Thank you. My Thank, dad you David Baddiel. Thank, Thank you very much. My Thank you. Thank you. Come back next week. We're here with No Such Thing as a Fish and Izzy Sooty. So please come back. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. You have been listening to Rahula Stepha with me, Richard Turing, and my guest, David Baddiel. The music's by Scant Regard. Thank you very much to the Clapham Grand for having us. Thank you to everyone who came to see us. I am indebted also to my producer, Ben Walker. I'm indebted to my friend and director, Chris Evans. Not that one. I'm very indebted to Kathleen McKeegan from rahalastapa.com for her fantastic research into previous episodes of this show. Um, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and com production. Please become a monthly badger go slash badges three pounds a month or more if you want and you get lots and lots of extras including bonus videos but most importantly you get to know who the guests are ahead of everyone else so you can buy tickets to the show and before everyone else you get a priority access I don't know if that's most important most important you are providing us with cash to make more podcasts so your money like 75 pm podcast if you are just calling counting real the that that money goes into making even more entertainment for people. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful system? GoFastespoke.com slash badges if you want to be part of the game.